Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. So, tonight's reading is on page 1214 of the Bible in front of you. It's taken from the book of James, starting in chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. That's on page 1214. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God, good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we stand. Father God, indeed, we do come hungry for your word. But Father, perhaps we come hungry for it, but fearful of what would happen if we obeyed it. And so, Father, we do pray that you would cause us to live up to the words we have just sung, that we would live for you. That every aspect of our lives would resound with faithful wholehearted, costly obedience to the word of the gospel of your son. Uh, Father, help us to be uh, those who uh, hear and heed the word you speak to us, uh, because we know it is a word that you speak to save us. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that tonight for our good and for your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. And uh, uh, please turn back in your Bibles to James chapter 2 as we continue our journey uh, this term through uh, the book of James. We're up to chapter 2 verse uh, 14 and that's page 1214 uh, of the church Bibles, page 1214. Uh, Tell me, uh, as you're finding uh, James 2 verse uh, 14, uh, are you someone who is able to tell the, the real deal Uh, the real McCoy from the fake, uh, the authentic item from the forgery. Now, some things uh, look like the real deal, don't they? They they look like it, they sound like it, 
Everything about them uh, seems real, but on closer inspection, uh, far from it. Uh, For example, the the church I was a part of uh, before uh, here, the church in Sydney, it it took me over a year to work out that the flowers at the front of church uh, were plastic, not real. Uh, Each week I'd come marvelling that the person who had organised the flowers had perfected once again the same design with the same flowers. And yet they were plastic. That's how we work in Australia. We're classy like that. But uh, how about not inanimate objects? How about people? Uh, Can you tell the real deal from the fake? Uh, Again, some people look like the real deal, don't they? Take, for instance, the serial pest, Karl Power. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. His mission in life is to uh, impose himself on significant sporting moments. And so uh, a few years ago, Manchester United were lining up for their photo at a Champions League football match. And there on the edge of the team in full Manchester United gear is Karl Power. Uh, taking a photo with them and then you see this next photo as they're all pointing looking at this strange figure and wondering who he is Uh, he did the same thing in the ashes uh, Australia versus uh, England in 2001 he walked out to bat before the English pair got out there he might have done better than them uh, that day he did the same thing to Michael Schumacher after a Formula One victory there he was on the podium in the full gear Uh, he did it before Tim Henman got onto Wimbledon centre court looks the part Uh, Everything about him looks authentic, but truth is, he's a sham. Can you tell the real deal from the fake? Well, let me get more specific. How about as a Christian? Uh, Can you tell the real deal Christian, the authentic, faithful Christian from, well, the fake? Uh, What evidence would you cite to say there is a real Christian? Uh, Would it be that they stood for the creed in the service uh, just a few moments ago? They sang with fervour that they're a moral person, uh, they've been baptised, they've even been confirmed. Now, what is the evidence of the real deal? Now, I'm asking this, uh, not advocating that after this service we go on some sort of witch hunt, assessing those around us whether they are the real deal or not. No, I suspect what James is inviting us to do here is more of a self-assessment. And as we do... Uh, Have you noticed this about uh, real and fake Christianity, that unbelievers, those who are not Christians, can tell the real deal from the fake very easily? It's the accusation all too often levelled at the Christian church. Uh, The church is full of hypocrites, uh, to which we want to say, no, no, there's plenty more room for more hypocrites. Please do come and join us. But that just dodges the issue, doesn't it? because they are seeing something that we need to take seriously. It is, as my unbelieving brother says, you Christians talk a good game. Well, James will say to us tonight, in fact, our God will say to us tonight, what good is it to talk the talk but not walk the walk? What if that accusation, that accusation uh, uh, questioning the reality of our faith didn't come from an unbeliever, a friend or a family member, but from your God? Well, that's what we get in 2 verse 14. Have a look with me. Chapter 2 verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Yes, uh, you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, You can even name the day that that happened, that you threw your lot in with him. You heard and heeded the gospel of grace, that Jesus' death for you was all sufficient. 
that in it there was forgiveness of sins and uh, hope of eternal life. And so you came to him in repentance and faith. You know that moment. You became a follower of Jesus. You said, where you go, Jesus, I will follow. And you know, as James has taught us as we've gone along, that, that how you began the Christian life is how you continue it, hearing and heeding that gospel. Because you know, as we saw back in chapter 1, verse 4, you know where he is leading you to, and it's so good. Remember at 1 verse 4, maturity, completeness, lacking nothing, like his son. But here is where the hypocrisy comes in. We know that. We believe that. But it's hard to heed a word like that in a world like this. How do you keep heeding that word, walking by faith, in a world where there are many trials? A world that is unstable, where it's filled with immorality, where there's need all around us, brokenness, harsh words, unrequited desires, boastful plans, selfishness. How easy it is in a world like this, in the fray of life, for our faith to be, well, just theoretical. We stand and say the creed. We hardly sing as we have just sung. We will stand as children of the promise. We will fix our eyes on him, our soul's reward. We say amen to that and walk out these doors and absolutely not live it. The question the Spirit of God puts before us tonight is so simple. Is your faith in the Lord Jesus the real deal? It's not a question our God asks us to undermine our assurance. Rather, it's a call to examine the evidence to make sure, to make sure our talk is matched by our walk. Here's God's call to us tonight. Does your faith have a life? Uh, Can I see it outside these walls? Where can I see it? Does does it have legs in a world like this? Because genuine faith, faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, faith in the grace of God, always does. It has a pulse, a a life, a walk, a harvest of fruit. And James will say to us in verses 14 to 20, if we don't hear and then heed the word of God, if our faith is uh, deedless faith, then it's useless. It has no power to save us, no power either to justify us before God's judgment seat. And what James is doing in these verses 14 to 20 is he's opposing any claim to faith that stops at just verbal profession. I believe there is a God. I believe Jesus is the king. Or empty and heartless intentions that might come from our faith. You see them in verses 15 to 16. Such a person may claim to have faith, but, says James, it is dead faith. Demonic faith. Now let's have a look at those two descriptions uh, one at a time. Here's the first. A deedless faith is, well, a dead faith. It is, as uh, the reformer Martin Luther said, we are justified by faith alone, but faith is never alone. Faith unaccompanied by deeds, we're told, verse 16, is no good, no profit. It's useless, verse 20. And just in case we miss it, he says it both in verses 17 and 26, it is dead. Now remember the context. Remember what we've just seen at the start of chapter 2 in verses 1 to 13. This example, our first example in the letter of what being a doer of the word actually looks like. It means for us that we live in a world like this as those who no longer play at favourites. We are those who abandon favouritism. 
We no longer live for gaining our own favour, we live for the good of others. And we live that way because we trust in the word of God's promised blessing to us. You remember it back in 2 verse 5? We are those who are rich in faith, heirs of his kingdom. We are highly favoured, so we don't need to play favourites. And so authentic faith trusts completely the word of that promised blessing. And so is freed to heed the call to love others without fear. Freed to risk costly love. And as we do, as we saw last week, we are following the footsteps of our King Jesus who calls us to follow him. That's what real faith does. It walks in the same footsteps as its king. Now, there's a moment in the movie Braveheart where Mel Gibson's character is given a stirring speech before the battle and there he is with this combined sort of Scottish army and there they are ready to do battle against the big bad English And uh, just as the battle begins, uh, Mel Gibson charges ahead with his little band of men. And then he looks back a few minutes into the battle for what he is assuming to be the backup charging behind him. And he looks back and they're all standing dead still uh, where they began. And they slowly trudge off the battlefield in retreat. That's what counterfeit faith looks like. Counterfeit faith is exposed when Jesus, our King of love, charges up the hill of Calvary, of costly self-giving love and he calls us to follow him and our feet are unmoved. Such faith, says Jesus, is useless, dead faith. And when James says real faith has real deeds, he's calling us to see that the genuine faith in this world is not merely made up of an ethic of avoidance. I'm a Christian because I don't swear, I don't get drunk, I don't watch dodgy films, I don't lie, good But James says, where is your ethic of involvement? Where are you following your glorious king into the fray? Where are your feet heeding his call to go into costly love of others? Because you remember 2 verse 8, that's the king's law. That's his call on your life, love of the other. What kind of faith is it that says, I have faith, and then lives life curved in, lives for self, Even if you're keeping your nose clean as you do it, such faith, we're told, is useless. And our world will sniff fraud like that out a mile away. Now, one of the great singer-songwriters to come from uh, the Antipodeans uh, is a guy called Neil Finn, who, in a song uh, called Only Talking Sense, wrote this, uh, this stinging line. He said, he is religion. He won't hear me when I cry for help. That's what we see here in verses 15 to 16. A faith that talks the talk, but when then the king of love calls us into the fray with him to to love others at cost, we stop still. And so verse 17, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, we're told, is dead. But more than just dead, have a look at verse 19. A deedless faith is, well, a demonic faith. You see there, verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Intellectually orthodox faith. Is that you? You believe the right things. You're sound as a pound, yeah? Excellent. So is Satan. Truth is, demons are more orthodox than us here tonight. They know their Bibles better. Satan is a believer. He can quote you chapter and verse, but what he knows to be true, he fearfully hates 
Now, this is a big call, isn't it, verse 19? Why is it fair to tar us with that brush, to link us with Satan-like faith? Well, think for a moment. What is it that Satan is afraid of? Why does he shudder before God and his word of promise? Well, I put it to you, it's this. He is afraid that God's purposes will destroy him and his purposes. He's right to fear that. You see it in Luke 4, for instance, as Jesus comes close to a demon-possessed man. uh, And in verse 34, the demons shout out this, Ha! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. False faith, demonic faith, hears the costly call of God's word and fears that our self-rule, our self-interest will be threatened. Haven't you felt that? When the plans and purposes of God come crashing against your own purposes, when the path he leads you on uh, towards this promised blessing of maturity is not the path you choose. No, it's a path marked with trials. And you think, uh, I thought you were for me. I thought you were for my good. What's with this plan? Are you trying to destroy me? Or the call to costly love comes to abandon our playing at favourites, to to love for the good of the other, not for ourselves, to to move away from comfort and towards need. And, well, our failure to respond declares, well, like the demons, what's with that plan, God? Diminish my happiness and comfort. What sort of plan is that? Have you come to destroy us? Now, we wouldn't say that out loud, would we? But counterfeit faith is exposed when the path he takes us towards blessing is not the one we'd have him take. And rather than follow him with wholehearted and obedient trust, we dig our heels in and wait for a different plan. Counterfeit faith is exposed when our king charges up that hill of sacrificial love and calls us to follow. And our feet, like those of a dead man, are unmoved, safe in the ground of our own comfort. To which our God says, what good is it if a man claims faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And so James turns in verse 20 to this question. You want to know how useless, deedless faith is? Well, let me show you what the real deal looks like. Let me show you what authentic faith looks like when it walks in this world by way of comparison. And so we get his first example, verse 21. Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? The reference here, of course, is to the remarkable incident we get in Genesis 22. God having promised Abraham the blessing of a great nation that would come through his descendants, come through his son Isaac. God now tells this old man Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love and sacrifice him as a burnt offering do you remember what happened Abraham obeyed God he walked up that hill with his son extraordinary especially when given uh, that Isaac was the very focus of this promise how could this promise possibly work if God wanted him to sacrifice his son and yet God asked him to do it take your son your only son whom you love and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And Genesis 22 records how Abraham acted in obedience to God. Yes, it does record how God wonderfully intervened and Isaac was not harmed, but still he obeyed. And so what is it Abraham's actions demonstrate? 
Well, simply this. It demonstrates that he had faith in God. At the utter extremity of that trust, utter extremity, he trusted God. He trusted, as God had said to him some 30 years earlier, I am your shield and your great reward. He trusted that God would do as he had promised, that he would bring a great nation through his descendants. And so you see verse 22 of James 2, his faith was made complete by what he did. And that's always true of real faith. Faith in God is trusting, wholehearted, costly obedience to his word of promise and word of command. And it is only complete when we actually express it. Put simply, trusting God involves trusting God. You can claim faith to your blue in the face. You can uh, say all the creeds you like. You can sing all the songs you like. But it will not have credence if you never actually trust him in the fray of life. That's what James was speaking about at the start of our letter. You remember it in verse two? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because there he knows in the midst of trials, that's the moment when trusting God, when real faith shows its colours. Wholehearted trust that even there, even in the valley, God is good and he is enough and his plans will still be for us to prosper. And he will do as he says. That is God glorifying faith. And so verse 23, the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. You see, it was back some 30 years before this incident in Genesis 22 that Abraham first trusted God. It was first credited to him as righteousness. But his faith was realised the moment he was up on that mountain when he did trust God. Now the same is true in the other example we are given in verse 25 of Rahab. Now this is accounted again in Joshua 2. Uh, let me encourage you, uh, if you're looking at these uh, in your small groups, this passage, are well worth going back to Joshua 2 and Genesis 22. See this faith walking. That's quite a simple story. Uh, the Canaanite prostitute Rahab uh, living in Jericho. Uh, two Israelite spies are on the run from the local, uh, the local gang who are out to kill them. Uh, she takes them in. She risks hiding them and arranges a way for them to flee, asking only that they spare her family when... Uh, the certain judgment of God comes on Jericho. She risked it all for these two spies. Why did she do that? What does her actions prove? Well, they prove that even here, even for an outsider, even for one who has just now become aware of God, the living God, as she declares in, verse, in Joshua 2, even for her, she really did believe that God was coming in judgment. She really did believe that God was her only hope and so she bet the lot on him. His promise of this blessing of land to his people, she says, I want in with that, whatever it costs me. And so she puts her home, her family, herself on the line because hers is a living faith. Now let me say tonight, uh, this is what genuine faith always looks like. Faith that hears and heeds the word of God's promise. And what promises we have. We are rich in faith because of Jesus. We are heirs of the king. We are being made mature and complete, lacking for nothing. All because of God's finished work in his son. And so as those who hear his word of command, his word to love, we are to heed it with obedient, 
costly faith that holds nothing back from God and nothing back from others. As we finish up, let me say this. I reckon when you see it, that is the real deal. Wholehearted, costly, obedient faith. When you see it, it is spectacular, isn't it? I was thinking about that this week and my mind went uh, to our dear brother and sister Jonathan and Zoe Norgate. They were part of our church family for a number of years and now mission partners in Cambodia. I remember in the lead up to them uh, making the decision and then going to Cambodia, you could already see the the costs of heeding that call mounting up. Uh, The cost on their family and wider family, the cost on their children, Uh, The cost on them personally, Uh, Jonathan had only recently finished a PhD in something that I can't even get my head around. He has the the brain the size of a planet and almost all of that is completely useless where he's gone. But, and this is the real deal, for them the anticipation of sharing in the blessings that come as they heed the costly call to love those in need, those who have never heard of Jesus, uh, that was enough to heed the call to charge up the hill of sacrificial love with their king. Uh, let, me, let me read uh, to you from a, a prayer letter they wrote just before they left. In recent weeks, we've been struck afresh of the glorious hope that one day Christ will be surrounded by a multitude of people from all nations. That's the promise that they were clinging to. And we all believe that, don't we? That wonderful moment when all the nations will be gathered. But this is the prayer of authentic faith that followed. Uh, here's what they prayed. Would you pray that we would think on that some more and think, that not that wonderful? No, that's not what they prayed. Or would you pray that we would realise that that's going to be great and perhaps make it a bit of a memory verse for the next week? No, that's not what they prayed. Now here is their prayer. Would you pray that the Lord would eventually take us? You see, this is prayer with legs, legs of faith. Would you pray that he would take us to a town, a village, a family, a person in Cambodia who has, the Lord has prepared to hear the gospel and that they will stand with us on that great day of joy and peace and thanksgiving. We'll behold authentic faith with legs in the real world and see that same faith walk when soon after moving to Cambodia they suffered the horrific event of seeing their young daughter Poppy fall from a balcony 30 feet onto concrete with uh, Huge injuries, found unconscious, presumed dead. She should have died. She sustained massive injuries and while now she is fully and miraculously recovered, the family were hit hard. Can you imagine? I mean, that's the moment, isn't it? That's, That's the moment when hearing and heeding the call of the king has cost too much. Yeah? No. Since then, they have moved deeper into Cambodia, into areas more untouched by the gospel because he is their shield and great reward. And what he has promised, he will do, and so they follow. The day after Poppy's accident, I got a text from Jonathan, still in great shock, but thankful to the Lord for saving his little girl's life. And he wrote these words while he waited for an ambulance to take them to the airport onto a hospital in Singapore. Sitting there with his battered and broken little girl, he said these words, I am sure the Lord is still working for good and we love him more now than ever before. Behold the real deal. Real faith responds in confidence to the glorious goodness of God and his gloriously good purposes with trusting, wholehearted, costly obedience even in the fray of life. 
And yes, we see it in the spectacular moments of costly faithfulness of Abraham and now Jonathan and Zoe. And there are many more stories in this room of that sort of faith. If we told them all, we'd be here till Christmas. But God speaks this word to us tonight, not to uh, have us focus on the faithful deeds of others, but to call us to that same path. This is a call on all of us, for there is no such faith other than faith with deeds. The evidence should fill the details of our daily lives, not just this hour and a half together. Where does our faith walk in this world? Where can it be seen as we face trials, as we are tempted to play favourites, as we respond in anger, or as we make arrogant plans for the future? James asked, there on the ground, in the details, are you hearing and heeding the word of God, trusting, wholeheartedly, costly obedience? Well, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your wonderful grace, the grace of the gospel of our Lord Jesus, who declares on that cross it is finished, who frees us from guilt and sin, frees us from fearfully seeking favour, fearfully seeking our own comfort, and knowing that we have been richly blessed in him. Now, Father God, help us to be those who trust that completely. And help us to be show, uh, those who show that we trust it by living lives fully for you. Uh, we pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.